Thanksgiving is this week. I heard somebody describe uh, Thanksgiving uh, last week as the most anticipated food holiday of the year. And I suppose you could describe Thanksgiving in that way. When we think of Thanksgiving and that holiday, we often think of, well, that feast, right? That Thanksgiving meal and that gathering together. And, and you've maybe sat down to start planning your menu for Thanksgiving and uh, what will go into that. And, and we all know that there are some ingredients that are necessary for that Thanksgiving meal. And, and some of us, are, our families have special traditions about the dishes that we might serve at Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. I, I uh, just uh, found a poll this last week that uh, talked about Americans' favorite Thanksgiving side dishes. And so this morning we're going to play a little game. Are you ready? Yeah, as always, it doesn't matter. We're doing it anyway. So, I mean, just be excited. Are, are you ready? Yeah, man, fired up. So this is going to be real easy. I, I just took this poll and I pitted uh, a couple of side dishes against each other. Your job is going to be to determine which side dish is uh, our favorite at Thanksgiving, okay? And so there are going to be a couple choices. Keep track of your own answers because there's a fabulous prize for the winner, okay? Can you do this? Can I trust you? All right, here we go. Here's question number one, okay? We've got cranberry sauce versus corn, all right? So you just decide which one is the favorite here. What percentage of Americans thought this was their favorite uh, side dish? Which one outranks the other? Do you have your answer? Are you ready? Here we go, coming in with 24% of the vote, it's cranberry sauce. All right, that's, yeah, good job. Okay, here's number two. Bread versus mashed potatoes. Bread versus mashed potatoes. See, we're getting excited. We're shouting out our answers now. Yeah, yeah, here we go. You got your answer? Here, with the win is mashed potatoes with 51% of the vote. I think you can. Bacon... Lettuce, tomato, sandwich, you've never had? Anyway, okay, so I'm not going to debate, but you are arguing about food with the wrong guy, George, all right? So just <laughs> cut it out. Let's go to the third question. Macaroni and cheese versus green bean casserole. All right? All right, the winner is uh, close. It was a close one, hotly contested green bean casserole, right? Yeah, I think macaroni and cheese is kind of a regional thing, right? Where good Midwesterners. How many people have macaroni and cheese on Thanksgiving? Anybody? A few of you? Okay. All right. That's cool. We won't judge you. Here we go. The last one. Uh, stuffing versus sweet potatoes. What do we got? Here with the win is stuffing 53%. The favorite side dish among Americans is stuffing and dressing. And so there you go. All right. Hold your hand up if you got two or more answers right. All right, good job. Keep them up if you got three or more right. Three or more. So let's see if you got four or more right. All right, we've got a few people still hands up. There's a tie. We're going to sudden death. All right, this is exciting. We're going to name. I want you to list the three favorite pies for Thanksgiving. We're going to start with third and then second and then first. All right. So if you're still, everybody can play. It's just so much fun. But if you're still tied, get your list ready. Okay. Third place. You got your list? Here we go. In third place, it's apple. The runner up pie. 
Pecan. Yeah, that's barely pie. The first favorite pie is pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving. All right, raise your hand if you got all of those right. All right, the fabulous prize for the winners. You get a free trip to the Thanksgiving dinner tonight. Good job, thanks for playing. Every one of us knows that uh, every one of us knows that we need some ingredients. We need some side dishes to to build that kind of ultimate Thanksgiving feast, and 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 we ought to spend some time at Thanksgiving not just thinking about which side dish we'll be able to enjoy, right? Not just thinking about or planning that feast or that gathering with with family, but we ought to spend some time thinking about all the stuff, including our family and friends, that we have to be thankful for, and sometimes that's just hard to do. It's hard, uh, perhaps it's more difficult this year uh, for you than it has been in the past. Maybe we're dealing with some, uh, you know, especially acute struggles this this year that are just uh, making it harder for us to get to that place of, of thanksgiving and gratitude, but we can absolutely build an attitude of gratitude. We're going to take a look at an interesting story in Luke chapter 17, uh, beginning with uh, verses 11 and working our way through 19. It's a story about Jesus and his encounter with 10 uh, men with leprosy, and uh, we'll see uh, how this story can teach us and uh, unveil to us these four ingredients that we need to build an attitude of gratitude. Uh, Again, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17 this morning, taking a look at verses 11 through 19. Gospel of Luke chapter 17, beginning with verse 11. This is what God's word says. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. All right, an interesting story here that I think highlights for us uh, four ingredients to building that attitude of gratitude. Ingredient number one is humility. On the way to Jerusalem, verse 11 begins. Uh, If you read through the Gospel of Luke, you'll read this phrase uh, time and time again. Uh, Luke uses this interesting idea of this trip to Jerusalem to highlight Jesus' ministry. Uh, He kind of paints this picture of this long, meandering trip from who knows where uh, Jesus started, but ultimately the destination is Jerusalem. And and I think this long kind of journey motif in, in the Gospel of Luke is appropriate because it reminds us that Jesus has always had this big mission in mind, that his goal was was not just to be to be born and to minister and to teach, but his, his, he's on his, this mission to Jerusalem ultimately 
to die on a cross and to be raised from the dead. He's got this big picture in mind, this, this big mission in mind. And, and Luke highlights that for us just by reminding us that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And that's really cool that Jesus has this big mission. But what's even more exciting for a guy like me is that while he's on this big mission, we learn that he's passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now, Samaria and Galilee are two areas of the region where, you know, folks don't have it all together. They're either kind of ostracized because of their economic status and kind of their educational status, or they're left out of things because they, they don't fit quite in religiously and spiritually. And, and so the Samaritans were, and, and ethnically, uh, all those things kind of contributed to that little bit of, of being cast away, kept out of the, the inner circle kind of idea. And, uh, but Jesus, though, he's walking right along this path, right? That, those are the folks he came to teach uh, and to preach and to heal and, and to reach. And uh, I heard by, from an author and a preacher this week describe Jesus as a back row person. You remember being in school, I remember being in college, there was a difference between the front row people and the back row people. You know, the, the front row people, they were there early, 10 minutes early, they were, they were dressed up, they maybe had ties on, I mean, they were ready to go in class. They were, they were dressed uh, uh, to the nines, they were dressed in their best for their best opportunity to learn, they were, they, they were prepared, they had the questions to ask, those were the front row folks in the classroom. In college, I was kind of a back row kind of person. You know, you know the back row kind of folks that uh, showed up, you know, not 10 minutes early, but hopefully, you know, 15 seconds early, that they sat down as the class was about ready to start. They, they weren't dressed in their best. They had sweatpants covered by flannels with a baseball cap on backwards because they hadn't brushed their hair. They hadn't even washed their hair before that 8 a.m. class, right? They were just kind of showing up and slouching down, and there they were in the back. And this author said that Jesus was, or at least he came, for those back row people. Those folks who maybe didn't have it all together. I'm so grateful, as a guy who absolutely doesn't have it all together, that Jesus came uh, as that back row kind of person. We're reminded of that as he uh, passes along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. These, these ten people with leprosy. And this is what we know about leprosy in, in the Bible, okay? As you read through from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you, you'll read and discover that, that leprosy in Scripture is, is kind of this generic term that probably covers all kinds of different uh, skin t- conditions, ranging from uh, sort of the mild and, and not so serious to the super serious and uh, you know, deadly kind of diseases. And so it, it covered just this wide range of, of different kinds of conditions. Uh, we know that there was a connection in Scripture between the physical and the spiritual when it came to leprosy. People viewed it sometimes as a curse from God even. If you, if you want to write down the scripture reference, you can. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 6, you might remember the story of Moses and God tells him to stick his hand inside of his shirt and he reaches in and his hand is fine and he pulls it out and it's covered in leprosy and it was a reminder that God, you know, 
was powerful and that he could bring these these plagues and he could judge you know who he would judge and and so people viewed leprosy as a curse sometimes even from God uh, we can read about and you can write this down again with Moses and his sister Miriam in Numbers chapter 12 verses 11 through 15 it's kind of Moses bargaining with God to, to just send Miriam outside of the camp for, for a few days, and that would be her punishment. And so this separation from others was sometimes not just for sanitation or medical kinds of reasons, but it was to serve as this punishment to be separated from, from others with this disease. And so that's this group of 10 folks that we're dealing with that Jesus encounters. They're, they're dealing with this disease, and they're standing at a distance because they have to. And verse 13 says, and they lifted up their voice saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, our first ingredient is humility, and I think this is, uh, it's easy to spot why these folks would be humble. They were separated from society. They were covered uh, to one degree or another with this disease of leprosy. They had lots of reasons to know that, man, I need help. I'm in desperate need of the mercy, of the grace, of the help that Jesus might provide to us, but this humility is, is mixed with this a weird amount of boldness because it took some courage for these folks to call out in this loud voice. Now, some of that is just due to distance, right? But they're drawing attention to themselves. They're trying to draw Jesus' attention. And so it, it took some boldness mixed with this humility to, to call out to him and to seek his help. And, and Scripture really reinforces this idea that, that that's the kind of humility we're to have, that we're to, we, we can boldly approach Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 tells us that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness to receive the mercy that we need and to discover, uh, discover the grace that will help at just the opportune time. Right, and maybe you're in that place, kind of like these these men, these ten lepers, who were just in that place where they didn't have anywhere else to go. They needed a, a spiritual uplift. They needed a physical lift. They needed some help, and they went and they boldly called out to Jesus in humility, knowing that they couldn't do it on their own. Perhaps uh, this holiday season, as we seek to build a better attitude of gratitude, we need to begin by acknowledging that every one of us needs to seek Jesus and we need the help that he has uh, to offer. Uh, ingredient number one is humility. Ingredient number two is obedience. Look at verse 14. When he saw them, these 10 lepers standing at a distance, calling out Jesus' name. Now this might seem like a simple thing because they, they call out, Scripture even says, in a loud voice. They want to get Jesus' attention and they receive Jesus' attention. And scripture says in verse 14, and he saw them. Such a simple thing, but a huge thing for these 10 lepers. Uh, and when I was in grade school, one of the big events, you know, every semester was the, uh, the school skating party. You guys ever have skating parties? You go to the roller skating rink. I don't even know if they still have roller skating rinks. But when I was in grade school, that was a big deal. You'd go to the roller skating rink for the skating party and you'd be at the party. And then every once in a while, they'd announce the special time of skating. You know, they'd say things like, 
and now it's couple skate. And you're like, oh man, couple skate, this is not, this is going to be a bad deal. And, and then the skating referee guy that was out there, he'd line all the boys up one wall, and then he'd line all the girls up the other wall, and you're like, this is a terrible idea. And then he'd pick a few of the girls, and they'd skate around, and they'd find somebody to, a boy to skate with, and, and some of them would awkwardly hold hands as they skated, hoping not to fall and bring the young lady crashing to the rink, and it was just a, a bad deal. Some just skated by, and then there was that weird 37-year-old couple that was there for some reason that were skate dancing. Have you seen people do this? And it's like, what is going, why are you showing off? And, and it's just a terrible experience, right? Especially if your crush skates by and never makes eye contact. It's not so bad, or it's not the worst thing in the world that they didn't ask you to skate with them, but they didn't even look at you. You weren't even in their consideration, right? They just skated by. And if you've ever had that experience, I'm not saying I have, but if you've ever had that experience, right, then you know a little bit of what these guys were dealing with, these 10 lepers. Because I'm pretty sure that Jesus wasn't the first person that they had called out to for help. But he very well could have been the first person who looked. And not just looked with scorn, and not just looked to dismiss, but looked with love and concern and compassion, who really saw them. Such a, such a cool phrase as we consider the second in, ingredient of obedience. They were really seen by Jesus. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. An interesting command for these ten guys. They, they were standing at a distance because they had to, depending on who you read and what laws you, you see and the scholars that will list the laws for leprosy uh, in, in the first century. It was some, uh, you know, my favorite is, is that you could be as close or you had to be as far away as six feet. That was the closest distance you could be to somebody. But on a windy day, you had to be at least 150 feet away. That's just my, my favorite rule here, right? There were all these different laws. And so when these guys hear that Jesus said, I want you to go and show yourselves to the priest. That was a command that was both filled with, with great hope, but tremendous risk. You know, if they go and show themselves to the priest, they are just going to be ridiculed and chastised and in trouble and punished for breaking the rules, for being too close to somebody else, for possibly making somebody else unclean. And so there was great risk involved in this uh, command, but there had to also be hope uh, tied up in it. They had to think, well, why in the world would Jesus send me to see the priest? Because he knows I can't go see the priest. I have leprosy unless something's going to happen when I go see the priest. And so there had to be great hope tied up in this for those 10 lepers. And what we discover in verse 14 is that uh, when they heard this command to go and show yourselves to the priest, and as they went, they were cleansed. They were made clean. They were healed. And so they discovered that this, this great risk uh, carried with it this tremendous reward, that they were made clean. Following and obeying Jesus it still to this day carries some risk. And, and maybe God has been calling you or, or the Holy Spirit has been nudging you to take this next step in your relationship with Him. Maybe you've been considering beginning that relationship through baptism and you've kind of been putting it off and thinking, well, maybe I'll do it next month or next week. And, and 
just take that step of obedience and, and allow God to begin working through you. Perhaps you've been thinking about uh, you know, participating in a small group or, or leading a small group or a ministry team and, and you just think, well, maybe I, I don't know if I can do that or if I should do that. Uh, follow that call and obey and step out and take the risk. There's risk involved. I'd be lying to you if I said there wasn't, but there's risk involved. But God is going to work through that in a tremendous way. You've got some invitations for this Christmas season on your chair, and you've been thinking about your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, your family member that you need to invite to worship with you, and you've been putting that off. Grab hold of those invitations, take them home, and obey that nudging, that leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, accept the risk. And, and take that step and, and see how God is going to work through those simple acts of obedience. The second ingredient here, we, we need humility and we need obedience. And then, find, and then next, the third ingredient that we need, ingredient number three, is praise. Let's look at verse 15. They were cleansed on their way to see the priest. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. Then one of them, and really that should read, then only one of them, right? All ten of them evidently were healed on their way to see the priest, and only one of them stops and changes direction and returns to praise God and to give thanks to Jesus. He praised God with a loud voice. We're going to talk some more about this next week, actually, and, and the power of praise and the power of worship. But when you read through Scripture, you can see some, some reasons. That, there's all kinds of reasons that we might not choose to offer praise to God, right? If, if you draw a circle of 12 miles radius around Wallula Christian Church, there are about 180,000 people that live in that circle. And, and this morning, about a third of them are in church. Uh, praising God together. That, that's just statistics. So we know that there's all kinds of reasons that we can, can make that well, we don't praise God, why we wouldn't praise Him. But there are some really good reasons that Scripture offers us that God deserves our praise. Uh, if you want, you can turn to the, the book of Psalm, to Psalms, uh, to Psalm 145. If you want to read about praise, you should read the Psalms, and you'll, you'll discover what it means to praise God. But in the 145th Psalm, in verse 3, uh, God's Word says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. Now, I'm not sure if this makes uh, this author a really great poet or a really bad poet, but what we learn from verse 3 is that God is really great, that God is big, that God is awesome, that God is powerful, that God is greatly to be praised, that He is absolutely worthy of our praise. You go back to the New Testament, to the, the book of Acts, uh, a really cool story in, in Acts chapter 16, uh, we're, you can drop these uh, verses down, Acts 16, verses 25 to 34. We're not going to read that, but the story goes like this. Paul and Silas are in prison, right? And it's at night, and they're in jail. This shouldn't be a time when they're filled with thanksgiving and that they're, they are praising God, but they are. They're singing uh, songs of praise uh, to God. And, and so God responds by sending this earthquake, and this earthquake shakes the, the prison gates, the doors, and they're open. And, and so all the prisoners could leave. 
leave, right? And Paul and Silas just keep singing. Now the, the praise songs must have lulled the guard to sleep because he's asleep. The earthquake, though, wakes him up. And he discovers that the doors to the prison are open. That's not ideal for a prison. And so he comes running in and, and he's looking around in the dark and he pulls his sword preparing to kill himself because if the prisoners are gone the next morning, that's his fate anyway. And as he pulls that sword and he's preparing to kill himself, Paul cries out, whoa, wait, you know, we're still here. And now the guard is really perplexed because why in the world are these two guys who were singing praise songs to their God still in the prison? So they ask him and Paul with this kind of captive audience tells this guard about Jesus. And the guard and his entire family are, are baptized and they begin a relationship with Jesus. Their spiritual foundation is shaken, not by an earthquake, but by praise. If you are in a spot where you need your spiritual condition to be changed, where you need your, your, your spiritual landscape to shift, then you can begin with praise. You go back to the Old Testament, to, to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 61 verse 3 uh, it says this to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning the garment of praise instead of faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness the planning of the Lord that he may be glorified Give them the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of faint spirit. If praise has this way of, of chasing away despair and, and helping to do that, if you're in a spot where you need uh, you know, be, to be fortified, you can begin with praise. Ingredient number three is to praise God loudly. We can, we can offer praise to him. And, and uh, verse 4 follows suit. And verse 4, the, the, I mean, the fourth ingredient, excuse me, ingredient number 4 follows suit. It's uh, that we need to offer thanksgiving. We need thanksgiving as that fourth ingredient. Let's look at, at uh, verse uh, 16. He's turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan, and then Jesus answered, were not ten cleans, where are the nine? Was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet. I just thought I wanted to find out, you know, who fell at, at, at Jesus' feet in the New Testament. And you go through and you'll find some stories like Mary Magdalene who falls at Jesus' feet to uh, anoint his feet and then to wipe his feet and clean his feet with her hair. You remember that story? She's falling at Jesus' feet, completely broken, overwhelmed by thanksgiving. In Matthew chapter 28, after Jesus is raised from the dead, he starts showing up to his disciples. And at one point, he shows up in the midst of his disciples. And, and scripture says that the disciples fell at Jesus' feet, overwhelmed with thanksgiving that he's raised from the dead. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, John is having this vision of heaven. He's having this vision of, of God's throne room, and he sees the risen Christ. He sees Jesus in heaven, in paradise, and he falls at Jesus' feet, overwhelmed by thanksgiving for the promises that Jesus offers. And I thought about this leper who returns to offer praise to God and falls at Jesus' feet, overwhelmed overwhelmed by thanksgiving that he's healed. And I thought, have I come to worship this morning overwhelmed by thanksgiving? 
It's a hard thing to do. I walked in the door this morning. Nobody else was here. I walked in. There was some kind of event, which is cool, in the foyer. And just understand, I walked in, and there were popcorn kernels kind of all over the floor. And I thought, why are there popcorn corn? Who didn't sweep this up? What in the world? I went in, in down the hallway, and there were chairs that needed stacking. I thought, oh, man, nobody stacked these chairs. I'm going to add that to the list. And I came down to turn on a, a, a television, a display, and I was hooking it up, and, and the mouse broke, and I had to fix the mouse before I could get the right slide on the screen. I thought, ah, oh, technology, it always, you know, messes up when you need it the most. What in the world's going on? All these little kind of irritations. And, and here I am preparing to preach a message about an attitude of gratitude being overwhelmed by thanksgiving. Man, that's hard to do. Are you overwhelmed by thanksgiving? Somebody way smarter than me reminded me that just in the Greek word for gratitude, in the Greek word for thanksgiving, eucharistias, eucharistias, there, there's an English word that it points out to us why we ought to be overwhelmed with thanksgiving. In the, in the Greek word here, there's an English word. Do you see it? It's Eucharist, okay? I think we have a, next slide, yeah, Eucharist, which is a word that we don't use too much around Wallula because your preacher's not, you know, that bright. We need smaller words, easier to say, but we talk about the Lord's Supper, that's the Eucharist, right? Communion, that's Eucharist, and we celebrate communion every week uh, to remind us of Jesus' choice to go to the cross for his sacrifice, for his, his uh, sacrifice that he made on our behalf to save us from ourselves. You know, and we should be overwhelmed by thanksgiving because of Jesus' choice, because we have access to God the Father through Jesus. We have, we're reminded there's another Greek word in, in the word uh, eucharistias, it's, it's just charis. Right in the middle, charis, and that's the Greek word for grace. Jesus died on our behalf, and, and he's extending this grace to us. Even though that we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God, even while we were still sinners, Jesus died uh, for us. He rescued us, and he's extending us this grace, this forgiveness, to make a way for us to know him for all of eternity. There's one last Greek word hidden in this word, and it's just kara. And kara is the Greek word for joy. Because when we remember Jesus and the difference that he's made, when we remember the grace that he's extending, that, that he knows that a, a guy like me can't earn his way, that we all fall short of the glory of God, that we can't do enough good things to be enough like God, to be with him forever, that he extends that grace and that forgiveness, that he's paid the price on our behalf. We should be living with tremendous joy in our life. We should be overwhelmed with thanksgiving. But that's so hard to do, isn't it? To be overwhelmed in every circumstance with Thanksgiving. Do you remember the, the, the name Corey Ten Boom? The, uh, she and her sister... Uh, had uh, protected uh, Jewish people during World War II and, and eventually they were caught and they were sent to a concentration camp. And uh, they, they arrived at this concentration camp and, and the, Corrie Ten Boom and her sister Betsy and they're sent into this barrack, this shelter. And it's, it's, a, it's a horrible scene. There are bunk beds on both sides, you know, stacked three or four high and there's just not one prisoner in these bunk beds most of the time, but multiple people are sharing each one of these bunk beds. So there's three or four or five or six people stacked three or four high in this room just filled with women. 
And they arrive in this place and the door slams shut. And Corey Ten Boom just collapses on a bench. He said, why in the world would God send us here? And her sister Betsy said, do you remember what we read this morning? That God, we're to, we're to offer thanksgiving in all circumstances. And Corey said, yeah, but sister, there's, there's no reason to be thankful here. Why, what in the world do we have to be thankful for? And Betsy said, well, we can be thankful that we were, we're here together, that they put both of us in this, this camp and this barrack. We can be thankful that we're together. And Corey said, okay, I, I, under, I believe that. We, we can be thankful to God that we are together. And, and Betsy pulled out of her, her garment, she pulled out a Bible that she had hidden, and she, can, she said, and sister, we can be thankful that they didn't search us well and that, you know, I was able to hide this Bible and now we can, we can read the Bible together in this barrack. And Corey said, okay, we can be thankful to God that we have bi- the Bible and we can, we can lean on his word in this difficult time. We can be thankful for that. And Betsy said, look around this room. And they looked around, they saw all those women, three or four, and each bunk bed stacked three or four high. And she said, we're so close to all of these women. God's, God's put us in this place with his word. And as we read his word, they will hear his word. And we have this opportunity to share the story of Jesus with all of these women. And Corey said, okay, we can be thankful that we have the opportunity to share Jesus with these women. And as she did, she kind of slapped a bug on her neck, and she started to scratch her side. And she said, oh, there are fleas. And she said, I don't care what you say, Betsy. There's no possible reason that we can give thanks to God for these fleas. A few days went by, a few weeks went by, whatever it was, and her, her sister, Corey's sister, Betsy, became ill. And when somebody was too ill or too old to be sent out on the work detail with the rest of the women from the barrack, they would be allowed to stay back and knit in, inside the barrack. And, and so that's what Betsy was doing. She was knitting, darning socks and knitting socks for the soldiers in this barrack, and she was lightning fast. And so she would finish her quota for the day, and then she would begin reading scripture to the women. And, and one day there in that process and she's finishing her knitting and, and the women start to argue about what size these socks they're working on are supposed to be and they, they can't remember, they can't figure it out and so they start calling out to the guards we need to know what size these socks are help us figure this out and, and they're just being ignored and they go to the door and they start pounding on it and calling out to the guards we need help, we can't figure this out come in here and tell us what size these socks are, are supposed to be so we won't be punished and the guards say we will never come into that barracks and and betsy said why not this is a simple thing just tell us what size the socks they said we won't go into that barracks because we know that there are fleas in that barracks and they're gross we're not going in there we'll have fleas too Corey and the rest of the women returned home from that work detail and betsy said i found out why we're to give thanks to god for these fleas she told her sister that uh, the guards they go into the other women's barracks and they abuse those women in horrible ways. But they told us today that they'll never come into this barracks because of the fleas. We can be thankful to God. We can have an attitude of gratitude, no matter our circumstances. And I think these four ingredients help us to do that well. Let's stand and let's, let's worship him loudly this morning.